How many of you know what an executor of a will is? Have anybody been an executor? Okay, there are some of those in the. It, those of you who don't know what an executive or, of a will is, they're the person that makes sure that it gets done the way the person asked. Yeah, I mean, in layman's terms, they might do lots of other things, but that's the goal that they take care of everything the way the way the departed had asked or the will requires. It's one of the language, it's one of the words that's used here in the Greek is often translated in this in in your pew bible it was translated um divider who made me judge and divider over you but the language is executor and so I wanted to make sure that we did a little bit of this this work with the word executor of the estate and so I'm going to read I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll sort of talk about what Jesus is doing here with the passage, okay? I just wanted to let you know what's going on, because most of the newer modern translations don't use judge and jury or divider of the estate in here. They do it different. So this text, my text, which I like, some of you know that I don't read... um, I read a variety of Bibles, but I use one pretty consistently. And I use the New Living because when it's wooden or when it sort of makes a mistake with the text, it makes the same mistake all the time. So it's completely trustworthy. So when I'm used to reading and I go, oh, something's weird here. And then I know it's trustworthy enough that it's kind of wooden in that way. If you know your text well enough, you can kind of do that. So if you stay with one long enough, you'll start to go... You know, it's kind of weird here sometimes. So this is where, this is one of those spots. So let me read the parable of the rich fool and following text. And then we'll keep coming back to this one thing here. Someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? That's the location of this word executor of the estate. Then he said, beware, guard against every form of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own, right? He who dies with the most toys still dies, (laughs) right? The toys don't keep that from happening. Although we have lots of shows right now where the rich people come in and they do this medical thing or they do something with the police, right? If just a billionaire could come in and just fix the police department, they'd have all the right tools and then, I'm sorry, I hate to say this, he who dies with the most toys still dies. (laughs) Is still dead. Okay, you're right. It works better. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm and produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Or as the child's story that I remember reading to my kids would say, bigger, better barns. Lots of bees in it. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, friend, You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. 
By the way, you're supposed to notice something from the book of Isaiah in here when they're uh, being attacked by somebody. They have this party at the end of the thing. They say, we should eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Now, he doesn't say that. But when you hear these things and you see them in the Bible text, then you're supposed to start remembering that if you've read it somewhere else, they're alluding to this. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. So you see how that works? It was in the text. They were using it, and there it is. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them, and you are far more valuable than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Can we just think there about if worry can't do anything, then why is it then why are we spending all the time doing it? Yeah. You gotta have something to do. By the way, we're using farmer stuff, and I came from a farming community, you know, from from St. John to here. And what I know most about the farmers is they sit out there and they watch their fields because you can't be in the fields all the time. You're waiting for things to grow. And so they worry. And the thing you do the most at, you're really good at it, right? Because you're practiced. And they would worry a lot. And then it would mostly be okay. And so the worry didn't change anything. And if the worry's changing it, you can't really do anything about it anyway because you've got to wait. Lil- look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into a fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I want to say this again. Can you just let this sink in here? That it gives God great happiness to give you the kingdom. Do you understand that? Gives God great happiness. He's, he's, he's looking forward to making sure it comes to fruition in your life. Sell your possessions and give to those in need, and this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses in heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The text divides up into a couple of things, but I'm going to be focusing a lot on this, who made me judge and executor over you context. Because if if you understand this the way that I think I'm going to present it here, and I hope I'm going to present it here this way, then the rest of the text tells you how to get where I'm hoping to drive you to today. 
And now that might be drive you to distraction. It might not. But I'm trying to get you to a spot where you understand what's being said in this one little comment. Okay? And I have a joke, and I'm not very good at jokes, and so you'll do this. My daughter says things like, you're not funny, Dad. You like, you like to say, be, have fun, but you're not funny. <laughs> there's a difference between fun and funny. But there's this man who dies, and, and he was very wealthy, and he, and he figured out a way that when he was going to get to the gates of heaven, he figured out a way that he could carry a bag of gold with him. And so he got to the gates. Now, there's a whole bunch of things wrong with this joke, and this is why I'm not funny, because I'm always parsing the truth of all the jokes and all these things. But he's at the gates, and there's Peter at the gate and said, well, you're on the list, but you can't take anything in. Well, I got I to gotta take this. I got to take it. I got my bag. I got to take it. Well, you can't take it, says Peter. You can't. It doesn't come in. Well, I don't know. I really want it. I got to take it. I don't. So Peter finally says what, you know, people poking him from behind saying, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? What's going on? This never happens. Peter says, tell you what, let me look inside and we'll see what we can do. See what's going on, okay? So he he finally lets Peter look in the bag of gold. And Peter looks over his shoulder and says, pavement. Pavement, right? The streets of heaven are paved with gold. You're spending all this time working on things that are so important here, and they're not what heaven finds important. It's why the streets of heaven are paved that way. See, this is why I'm not funny. I'm always parsing things. Parse means to explain and, and, and think about all the little weird angles and why it doesn't work. And, you know, aside from the fact that Peter is not at the gates of heaven going, you're on the list and you're not. I mean, doesn't Jesus know his people? Does he need a list that's separate from inside his head? I mean, he has a list. It's in his head. And there it is. He's going, you're mine. And so that thing breaks down. But here's this thing. Who made me judge and executor over you? Well, let me say it this way. Well, actually, God made him judge and executor over everything. That's the truth. I could turn to the text. If you want to go to Ephesians 21, God lifted him far above all powers and kingdoms and authorities on earth because of his obedience at the cross. So that pretty much does make him judge and executor over everything. Now, we might say executor, but it's executor. Or we could go to Philippians 2.9, where God exalted him to his right hand. By the way, right hand means, and whenever you see somebody on the right hand, that is the source of power. It's at where the power all rests in in, in, in any culture, you know, they, that that your right-hand man or your right-hand person is the one that does all the stuff for you, judge and executor over you. But the problem here isn't, Jesus isn't going, well, who did that? He's saying, well, who did it? Who actually made me judge and executor, executor over you? And I'm going to say this wrong now that I've got it in my head wrong. Who did that? Well, here's the example of what's going on with what we should do with God. And this is a different text, and they're not often read together, but I think they're fairly important. This one is from uh, Mark. 
And it goes like this. They're testing Jesus about taxes. So this is on, you know, maybe this is inheritance tax or whatever. So they say, go get a coin. And he says this. Then they brought one and he said, well, whose likeness and inscription is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. Jesus said, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, this is kind of missed on this. Where's God's image stamped? God's image is stamped stamped on us. We're the bearers of God's image, right? That we're supposed to give to God what is God's image. See, it's kind of missed on everybody still. Isn't it? Let me say that again. If the coin has George Washington's symbol on it and it says United States on it, then you pay the tax on that to the hair. If it has Queen Victoria, then you have some choices. It might be the UK or it might be or or it might be Canada. Because she's on some of the stuff. If it has a loon on it, you're definitely in Canada. But but God made humans in his image, so where is his image located? Not on coinage, but on things of true and endearing, enduring value. So who made you, who made me, Jesus says, judge and executor over all the things in your life? Well, God did. But had the man done that yet? Let me ask you this question this way. Have you taken the time in your heart to submit your heart in a way that makes Jesus judge and executor over your life the way he actually is in the way that God's already installed him? Because you could spend some time making sure that, you know, I, you know the, the good Lord and I, we're all good, but we never do anything together. Or you can spend time making him judge and executor over your life. Now, those of you, I know some people in the room have done that. Maybe you've never used that language before. The reason different languages is important is because we all hear things sort of differently. Some of you would say, well, I made Jesus Lord of my life once. But for those who love Doctor Who in the building, is there any Doctor Whovians in the building? Yeah, yeah. For the for the TARDIS, what is the TARDIS? For those, come on, help me out here. What's the TARDIS? It's a it's a phone booth. What's on the inside? A time travel machine. That's what. Is it? Does it fit in the phone booth? The inside is bigger than the outside. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Many of you would say, well, that's Doctor Who. No, that's C.S. Lewis in the final battle when they're throwing everybody in the barn and heaven is inside the barn as big and as far as you can see. That life is not saying God is Lord of my life once. Life with Christ is not that. It's saying that every day continually in a discipling manner where you disciple yourself and you teach yourself how to do it. And God helps you with his spirit as he comes into your life and every day you get the chance to say, today, your Lord. Where should I go today, Lord? Is another way of saying it. What do you want me to notice today, God? It's something my dad was a, 
project architect in Guam on a on a construction project that they they weren't entirely thrilled with the contractor. And by that he meant he was the construction architect looking walking around the building every day trying to make sure that the building was built right. And he said every day, God, help me see the things I have to see today. Help me see it. Help me notice it. He walked in to one of the one of the one of the uh, stairwells one time, and it had been all skim coated with concrete, and it looked all beautiful and everything, and and it was all dry. And he and he and he felt the nudge, and he took his the back of his pencil like a pen like this. It still had the cap on it, and he just made an arc on the wall, and the whole thing just went, <laughs> and the whole face came off of the pretty concrete because it wasn't done right. How do you see what you're going to see? Well, sometimes God opens your eyes and says that. If you'd done that to cured concrete and it was done right and bonded to the other concrete, nothing. It just, you know, it just grinds away the edge of your pen. If it's not done right, it's kind of the option of being a Christian. You know, sometimes the, you've met a lot of people that haven't done it right. And they haven't spent the time every day to say, Lord, how do I make you in charge today? Help me, guide me, lead me. I said to Marjean this morning, I've kind of had a rough go health-wise the last couple of weeks where I've had headaches and I've spent quite a bit of time on the couch. I sort of felt like God said for the last two weeks, you, you're not going to be very productive. Go lay down. And he sort of set me aside. Well, how do you get there? How do you how do you say, well, no, I have to push it through anyway? Do you know people that do that? Just push through anyway? I've actually been one of those people most of my life. It's why I've had such a good relationship with the orthopedic surgeon. But here's here's how we go, okay? This is the thing. Jesus' warning against this guy comes with a text. It says, be careful of all forms of greed. And it's like we all have calculators or cash registers for heart, or you've at least met somebody like that. But the problem isn't that, that everybody's like that. It's that everybody in their heart has the chance to have a cash register for a heart, to count the cost, to go, that happened to me four times, and it didn't happen to them four times. So why is it happening to me so often? Or... They got a lollipop, and I didn't get a lollipop. <laughs> Daddy loves you better than me. <laughs> that actually, I have to tell you a story about that at another time, but I don't have time to go down that rabbit trail right now but because the time is here. But, but remember that Jesus wasn't going around the countryside looking for people that exhibited the gospel in their heart. He was going around the countryside reaching out to people that needed the gospel inserted into their hearts so that the, then they could begin to recognize not only the reality that God has put him as judge and executor over everything in their lives, but actually that you want him to be judge and executor over your life. Well, that's quite a step, isn't it? 
Not just that he is, but man, you're looking forward to it. Why would you look forward to Jesus being judge and executor over your life as your heart that often could be sort of a cash register or an abacus where you're keeping count of everything and you're just tracking it and all this stuff and pretty soon there's no forgiveness in you. And But the gospel comes in and it starts to relieve that as, as Glenda told us in a prayer thing, forgive, forgive. And it's sort of the antidote to the cash register mentality is forgiveness and and you have to do it every day. And today, I have to decide to do it again. And and how many times should I forgive? Seven times? No. Se- or 70 times? No. 70 times seven times. Which means stop keeping track. <laughs> it doesn't mean make 490 little ticks on a wall and then you don't have to pay attention to that anymore. And by the way, that doesn't mean that somebody did something to you 490 times. It might have been just once. And you might spend 490 100,000 times forgiving them and submitting and saying, I really would like Jesus to be judge and executor over my heart. Today I did 90, today I did 9% of the forgiveness. God, can you do 91%? Tomorrow I'll try to do 10. The next day we'll try some more. Suddenly something happens and it's reminded of somebody did something similar to the person that hit you and it felt like, like that sore spot on your arm that keeps getting bumped and you they did that to me and, and now you're back to 1%. You're going, God, help me forgive. Forgive my unbelief. Forgive my lack of trust. But how do we do this? When you go back and if you want to, you start to read the text that that's what's going on in this text is Jesus is teaching us how to do that. You might think, but what about the really great people in our lives that don't do that? And he's saying, even Solomon isn't as good at this as the flowers. This is not an unusual concept in the text. People were looking at John the Baptist, and Jesus says, of of all the people born of a woman, none is greater than John the Baptist except every single one that's entered into the relationship that makes the kingdom possible in their life. Remember the text, God delights to give his children the kingdom. That's why you want him judge and executor over it is is that soon your heart is made ready to be in the kingdom by the gospel itself. You're being gospelized as you every day decide to submit yourself to this judge and executor. The one who makes it happen. And the problem isn't that we have a sin problem. You might not know this. Did you know that you don't have a sin problem? You have a death problem. Yeah, let me say that again. Do you know how to get you know how to get out of the grave after you're done? And put there? No, you don't know. But you know somebody that knows how to get out of the grave. And that's Jesus, who's been there and come back. Now sin might get you there. But the problem is is that it's a symptom of the prob of it, you know, it's how you diagnose the problem. The problem is hate to say this, you're, you're terminal. It's like this. Everybody that ate pickles in 1870 is dead. Pickles cause death. No, it's not. Everybody's going to get there, and you need some help through the process. You need help from the one who's been through it. Who made me judge and executor over you? Well, God did. 
But what about you? Will you make him judge and executor over your heart? Will you submit to him in that way? Will you go, man, I need help. I keep building up stuff on earth, and it keeps rotting, and it doesn't work, and pretty soon, you know, I'd, I'd like to do something that counts for something. I'd really like to do that. I want to be used by God. I really want, Lord, show me today, what should I notice? Who should I help? Is there somebody that needs, that needs to be in front of me in line at the grocery store today when I'm in line? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's somebody you shouldn't cut off in traffic. I'm speaking to me now. Okay. So, before I pray, I want to say this one thing. If you don't know, and this doesn't make any sense, and you're sort of feeling like a deer in a headline, and you don't know how to make him judge and executor over your heart, do you have somebody that you trust nearby that does, that talks about Jesus as a friend, somebody that they know? Then go talk to them. If they're not available, um, I would be very honored to be in that spot, but, but certainly... The person you trust that knows Jesus, talk to them. Help them, let them help you through that, okay? But, but if this is so strange and I'm off on planet nine to you, it's okay. I've, I'm pretty used to that. But there's somebody nearby you that has talked to you about faith, that what they say makes sense to you, and it touches your heart in such a way. Let them help you through. And the way we talk about it isn't any big deal, except that it gets done. Okay, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, mighty are your works. The way you cause us to remember them and you move in our hearts and you change our hearts, oh God. Help us cooperate with that change. Help us be ready. Help us submit to you. Help us make you the judge and executor of our hearts. Me too. Amen.